Well, welcome everybody to all of our campuses meeting throughout the Twin Cities today. Glad you made it to church. I also want to welcome those of you watching online, wherever you might be in your homes or dorm rooms, wherever you might be today. We're so glad you joined us as well. Excited today because we begin a new series called Faith That Works based on the book of James. And I think no other book in the Bible tells us how to live our lives and solve our problems, face our problems better than the book of James but the way many people try to cope with their problems is by ignoring them or suppressing their problems, only to have them resurface later on. Other people try to medicate their problems with escapist behaviors like overeating, overspending, or overdrinking. But those are really temporary fixes that can turn into to, you know, permanent nightmares and they can spiral into bigger problems. Eventually, problems must be faced and problems must be solved. By the way, I think that Problems aren't all bad, and what I want to do today is show you that there's actually a purpose for our problems. Many people try to avoid their problems, but there's actually a purpose for our problems. In fact, James chapter 2, 1 says this, consider it pure joy, kind of a strange statement, whenever you face trials. I mean, just let that one sit there for a second. Consider it joy when you face problems of many kinds, because you know something, he says. You know that the testing of your faith develops endurance. How is it possible to have a good attitude about problems when you're going through something difficult? Because he says problems produce endurance. Trials or problems are opportunities for us to learn and grow and gain endurance. A few years ago, my wife was in Pennsylvania visiting, visiting her folks. So I was on my own for a few days, which is fine, but I had a bad cold, and I'm not a good sick person to begin with. Plus, I ran out of fruit and dog food, so I had to go to the store, which I dread even on a good day. I especially hate going to Sam's Club because it's eight miles and 12 traffic lights away. But they have our dog food, so I bit the bullet, hoped to be back in less than an hour. I was in a hurry. Walked up to the door, and I realized right away I didn't have the card. My wife had the card, so right away I was annoyed. But I'm trying to work on that part of my life, so I told myself, Bob, just relax, roll with it. Got in line to get a card, but there was a lady standing near the line fiddling with something in her purse. So I said to her, is this the line? She said, yes. I said, are you in it? She said yes, because she was leaving this big gaping hole in the line. And I'm kind of a line guy. You know, if you're in a line, you should be in the line and practice good line management. I mean, are you with me on this? Be in the line if you're in the line. So that was annoying. But I told myself, relax, be nice. Ten minutes later, finally had my card. I ran through the aisles, hat pulled down, no eye contact, got what I needed, dove into a checkout line, trying to make, remain unnoticed, gave the lady my card, and she said, Pastor Bob. <laughs> Very nice lady, never met her before in my life, but she rang everything up. I gave her my credit card, and she said, oh, we don't take Visa. I said, you're kidding. I said, what are my options? She said, with urgency, the ATM machine is over there. I said, I've never used an ATM. True story, still haven't, don't know how to do it. She pointed to a teenage kid about 80 yards away and she said, he'll help you with it. So I ran over to the kid, he said, I can't help you with that. So he called the manager, manager came over, gave her my credit card, I said, do whatever you have to do. So she swiped my card, hit a few buttons, she said, what's your pin? 
what's a pin? I mean, I don't, even, I don't know what my pin number is. She said, well, maybe your wife knows. So I called my wife in Pennsylvania. I said, Laura, what's our pin? She said, I have no idea. The manager said, you should get a Sam's Club credit card. I have only two cards in my wallet, my license and my visa. Card, credit cards to me are like a disease. I avoid them like the plague. She said, get a Sam's Club credit card. If you get it today, it'll be $40 off your purchase. I said, I can't believe you guys don't take visa. See, because it's her fault. <laughs> Sam's Club's fault, my wife's fault for leaving me alone all by myself. It wasn't my fault for not having cash or not knowing my pin. It's everybody else's fault for my problems, you see. So with my groceries waiting, I went back to the same line I was in before to get a Sam's Club credit card, very painful for me to do. Filled out about 12 forms. And the lady said, your grocery bill is only $84. You need to have $100 worth to get the $40 credit. <laughs> oh, so I ran back, grabbed some coffee and almonds, finally checked out and headed for the wrong door. The guy said, this is the wrong door. I said, of course it is. <laughs> I mean, you should be very concerned that I am the leader of this church, but, but those aren't really problems are they? Those are annoyances. Problems are when it's finals week and you get sick. Or your boss is toxic and you hate going to work. Or your college roommates party all week long starting Thursday night and making it impossible to study or sleep. Or your spouse wants out of the marriage. That's a problem. Or you've been unable to have children or you lose a loved one through a senseless tragedy. Some of you are facing a problem or crisis right now that's so overwhelming there's no solution or purpose that you can see. But honestly, I'm telling you, you might not see it right now, but after 40 years of helping people walk through their deepest problems of addiction, cancer, infertility, conflict like you can't believe, loss, and even death of a loved one. I have absolutely come to believe in James chapter 1, verse 2, that there is a purpose for our problems. You might not see it right now, but there is. That our biggest challenge can be our best opportunity to become stronger and wiser and more enduring people. In fact, award-winning David Brooks author wrote it this way, we, should, we shoot for happiness, we all want happiness, but honestly, we are formed through suffering. So true. I can tell you that every good that has come my way, whether it's at work or in my relationships, every skill that I've gained or strength I've acquired have mostly come by facing and enduring problems. Most people over 40 will tell you that they grew and learned the most through the hard times in life not the easy time. So let me walk you through this. James 1.1 says this. He says, James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Now, James is an unlikely biblical writer because he was the half-brother of Jesus Christ. And he hated that his brother Jesus was making these wild claims to be God. Now, you think of that. If my other... If my brother ever claimed to be God, that'd be a big problem for me. I mean, I, I, would, I would have to say, John, you're more insane than I thought you were. 
I mean, for your brother to claim that he's God would be a hard pill to swallow. But then James saw Jesus get executed and rise from the dead three days later. And James did a 180. And now he calls himself a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes who are scattered among the nations. It's an amazing statement that James makes. He's now worshiping Jesus as his Lord. The date was 45 A.D., uh, when this took place, this writing, the Roman emperor Claudius was in power and he had driven all the Christians out of Rome and was persecuting them. So they were, they were scattered. These Christians were scattered among the nations, a lot like refugees that we see on television. Quick time out. Anybody here feel scattered these days? Maybe feeling out of place or left out. You don't feel like you belong. Maybe you're in a new job or just started college and you, you feel scattered and scared. I got an email uh, from a college freshman. I get a lot of emails from young people. I'm so grateful that they're watching and dialing in and attending church. So if you're in college, I'm so grateful for you and I pray for you. But this, this young man wrote this. He said, Pastor Merritt, I want to reach out and thank you for the impact you've had on my life. I just started my freshman year here in the Twin Cities, and I feel torn between what God wants me to do and what my friends want me to do at college. It feels impossible to keep my friends and try to live a moral life. It's gotten to a point where I try to leave campus every weekend and go fishing up north because of how bad campus life is. I even quit the hockey team because I started to lose sight of who I am. I've been watching online, and you often bring up college students. As someone who survived the college experience, how did you avoid all the sin and destruction and live a godly life? If you have any advice, it would mean more than you know to me. I sent him a two-page response Monday afternoon, and you can read that on our website but he feels scattered and scared, and, and that's who James is writing to. So if you feel that way, I'm so glad you're, you're here and watching. As we get into this uh, message, I want to point out three facts that'll help all of us, I think, get through the problems that we may be facing. And the first fact is this, is that problems are inevitable for everybody. You notice what James says. He says, when you face trials of many kinds. It's not if, but you and I are going to face trials in this world. The psalmist David wrote it this way. He said, many, many are the afflictions of the righteous. Many of the afflictions we're going to encounter. We live in a broken, sin-filled world where problems are inevitable, and all of us will face problems. But knowing that, how does knowing that help us get through them? Well, if we know that problems are inevitable, it changes our expectations. It shifts our attitude from, oh no, why is this happening, to problems are normal. Everybody has them, and I'm open now to seeing how this problem is going to get solved and how it's going to make me a stronger, wiser, and better person. When you know that problems are normal, they don't throw you as much. 
You say, you know, I wish I didn't have this problem right now, but I know that problems are normal, so I'm not going to panic. I'm going to figure out a way to get through this problem. So first of all, they're inevitable. Second of all, problems are variable. Notice what he says, consider it joy whenever you face trials of what? Many kinds. Many, many kinds. A couple weeks ago, my wife and I drove to Missouri to visit our daughter and her family, two little girls they have. And whenever we go there, we know that we are going to face trials of many, many kinds because it's a whirlwind of car seats, laundry, a six-month-old, the two-year-old little girl who's just a firecracker. It's a whirlwind of eating schedules, timeouts, and endless crying for no reason. And that's just the adults. I mean, the kids are just crazy. There's exhaustion, spit up, diapers, and fussiness, and meltdowns. Meltdowns all the time. I mean, people who say that babies are a bundle of joy are absolutely lying. <laughs> babies are not a bundle of joy. Oftentimes, they're a, they a bundle of problems and stress and financial. Just unbelievable. So on the way home, my wife and I engaged this conversation. I said, Lord, what do you think are the three main sources of problems? Think about that question. Didn't take me long to say, number one source of problems is me. I am the cause of most of my problems. I am my biggest problems. In fact, James 13 says it this way. When tempted, nobody should say it's God who's tempting me, but here it is, each person is tempted when by, look, his, by his or her own evil desire, he or she is dragged away and is, is enticed. He goes on. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, gives birth to death. He's saying, God's not the cause of my problems. I am the cause of my problems. When my own evil desires entice me into sin. So here's what he says. Here's how it works. We get tempted by something. We get tempted to steal, cheat, or take revenge because we're angry. We're tempted to overspend, overeat, overdrink. Tempted to lose our temper and say hurtful things. And if we give in to those desires and temptations, it leads to sin, James says. And sin leads to a kind of death in our relationships, in our own families, our careers, Sin always leads to some kind of death. Gang, I am the cause of most of my problems when I say and do things that are hurtful and destructive. A few days ago, I was on a 20-mile bike ride, and I could see two other bikers about a quarter mile ahead of me. I had no idea who they were, but I wanted to catch up with them and pass them because it's a competition for me. I wanted to blow their doors off because I'm 60 and prove to myself that I still have it, which I don't. But I caught the first guy, breezed past him, that felt so good, but the second guy was strong and steady, so I really had to gut it out and grind, and I finally caught up with him and passed him, I almost blew out a lung, but I finally did it. But I was exhausted, and so I let up a little, and a minute later, he caught up with me, and he said to me, watch it on the right, and it irritated me because he thought he was gonna pass me, and nobody passes on the right, 
He said, watch it on the right. And I just immediately responded and said, you don't have to worry about me. To which he said, and you don't have to worry about me. We were in our little spandex biking shorts, tough guys. I wanted to bump him into the ditch. I was snotty. He was snotty right back. He was probably another pastor. <laughs> probably a Lutheran one. You can't let a Lutheran... You can't let a Lutheran pastor be. Just so I sped up and never saw him again. But about a mile later, I thought, Bob, what's wrong with you? Honestly. And the answer is sin is what's wrong with me. I'm a sinner. And I am the biggest source of my problems. Second source is easy. Other people. Amen? <laughs> Don't raise any hands, but how many of you have been the recipient of somebody else's sin? Somebody lied to you? Someone cheated on you? Someone said hurtful things about you? How many of you have been betrayed? Been wounded? Abandoned, abused by another person? 58 innocent people lost their lives. 500 more were injured Sunday night by some random single hate-filled person. I'm telling you, the biggest, second biggest cause of problems in this world. Other people. Third one is this, just, just everything else. Natural disasters, accidents, uh, sickness, financial setback. But here's, gang, if, if you hear nothing else today, this is so important. You and I have almost no control over number three. No control over hurricanes, financial setbacks, the market rises and falls. No control usually over car accidents or even sicknesses. Absolutely no control over number three. And very little control over number two. Some people are going to hurt you. The only thing you can do is try to minimize that by avoiding hurtful kinds of people. But even then, you can't escape it entirely. Almost no control over number three. Almost no control over number two. The only thing you and I have control over is number one, yourself. So I want to ask you this question. Are you in control of yourself? Do you have self-control over your own words, your own anger, your own spending, your own sarcasm, or you, do you just let it fly? Do you have self-control over your entertainment choices? Do you have control over salacious websites? Or you do, do you give in to pornography on a regular basis? I am telling you, men especially, pornography will erode your soul and destroy every relationship you have. Do you simply give in? Do you have control over drinking? Or gambling? Or are you addicted to something? Gang, you hear, you hear us talk about this stuff all the time because here's the truth. The people who are best able to overcome number three and number two are in charge and have control of number one. 
People who are best able to overcome problems brought on by number two and number three are those who have managed their own lives well. In fact, uh, Bill Hybels, one of my just good friends and mentors, talks about challenge spikes. And he says all of us will face challenges throughout life, but, but there, will be, there will be times, he says, when, when eventually all of us will face a challenge spike. And he goes like this, you know, we all just go along in life and we have these little bumps, but all of a sudden, boom, we have this big challenge spike where it's finals week, you get sick, your boyfriend dumps you and your pet dies. Happens all at once. And all of a sudden you are facing this enormous spike and you don't know if you can get through it. Now I want to ask you a question. So you have, you have two different people here. This person, their relationships are great. They're not in debt. No debt. <laughs> they're not addicted. You know, they're, they're diligent. They're in a small group Bible study. They go to church. How do you like my writing? Isn't that great? This is called low tech. Okay, this, this person here, well, he's not going to be happy. This person is happy. This person, relationships are stressed in conflict all the time in debt up to their eyeballs, addicted to who knows what. You know, sometimes they're in church, some, but it's a mess. Now, here's my question. Who has a better chance of getting through this challenge spike? Does the person who is well-supported, their soul is filled, they're in church, they're walking with Christ, they have great friendships, their marriage is great, their family's great. Does this person have a better chance to absorb this challenge spike? Or does this person? The answer is clear. This person is running so low on empty that when a spike hits, who knows if they'll ever pull out. I'm telling you, the people who get through challenge spikes are those who have built a foundation of strength. Their relationships are strong. Their marriage is strong. Their finances are strong. Their soul is strong. Because isn't this true? The best time to get ready for a crisis is when you are not in one. It's the best time. People who best meet the challenges of life are those who have built a foundation of honesty, sobriety, dependability, and godliness so that when a crisis comes, they're strong enough to face it, gang. You with me on this? First two facts about problems, they're inevitable, they're variable, and number three, problems are actually profitable. They are. James goes on, consider it joy whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith develops endurance. He goes on, and endurance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. He's saying problems are profitable because they teach you to endure, and when you have endurance, you become mature and steady and complete not lacking in anything, literally meaning able to handle anything that life throws at you. I'm telling you, you learn more, you grow more, you deepen your dependence on God and others more by facing and solving problems more than any other time in your life. But what are we tempted to do when we have a problem? We're tempted to quit. Some of us were tempted to quit. You know, we have problems at work, so we're tempted to quit. Problems at school, I'm just going to quit. 
problems in our marriage, we're tempted to call it quits. These are quitting points. I call them quitting points. We all have them. Every time I began a new class in college, I just wanted to quit. Hated it. Hated school. Every time, you know, first year in marriage, not every marriage. I only had one marriage. Only have one marriage. But in our first year of marriage, I faced a huge quitting point. We both did. We thought we married the wrong person. We had so much conflict in our marriage. But we, we fought through it. Made it. My first year in this church was a huge quitting point. Didn't know if I'd make it. Most Monday mornings, I face a quitting point when I open up my computer screen and I think, oh God, please help me. What am I gonna say this week? But what kind of person would I be if I quit school, quit work, quit this church, and quit my marriage? Well, I'd be an uneducated, unskilled, unemployed, lonely little bald man without a job, family, or future. And here, here's, here's something that's so, so key. James says, endurance must finish. It's work. In other words, it takes a while. Sometimes it takes 20 to 30 years for endurance to finish it, its work where you finally become mature and complete. It's often not the smartest or most talented person who rises to the top. It's simply the person who doesn't quit. They hang in there. They let endurance complete and finish its work. And whenever I face a problem, you know what I need most? I need wisdom from God. God, I need, I need to know how to get through. So he says in verse five, he says, look, if any of you lacks wisdom when you face a problem, you should ask God. You know, he doesn't say you should ask your father, mother, pastor, or therapist. Those people can help. But he says, if you need wisdom facing a problem, ask God first. And I want to ask you, do you do that? When you face a problem, do you actually go to God and ask him, God, will you help me with this? I'm telling you, some problems have no human solution, and God is just waiting for us to practice faith in him, and he'll reveal the answer to our problem. So James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, and it will be given to you. But here's the qualifier. When you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because he who doubts should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. It's sort of like this. Well, God, I have a problem. I, I, I believe that you're up there somewhere. I think you're listening. So I'll, you know, I'm just going to give this a try because Bob said I should try to do that. And I don't know. But if you could help out, that'd be awesome. He's saying, look, go to God with belief. Practice belief, not doubting. God, you're the man. I need your help. I don't know how to solve this on my own. Will you show me? Will you lead me? That's the kind of faith God's waiting for. When I have a problem, I need his help more than anything else. I ask for his wisdom every day, but there is a problem that none of us can solve. And that is the problem of death. And we all have a date with this thing. This past Monday morning, our nation woke once again to news of another senseless tragedies caused by one man who inflicted incredible pain, incredible loss for hundreds of people. And you know, it's random. 
It, it is, it's random. Bullets don't think. Bullets don't discern good or bad. They, they, they just hit whatever is in their path. And I, I just, I can't imagine losing one of my family members or friends like that. And so like many of you, I've actually been praying for the people who are most affected by this all week long. In fact, on Tuesday morning, I called Pastor Judd Wilhite, who's the senior pastor at Central Christian there in Las Vegas, and their church is a lot like ours. He's just a fantastic pastor. And we prayed together. We had a great conversation. Judd said Monday night, they opened their church and filled their 2,000 seats with people who came, and 1,000 more people were waiting outside, and hundreds of people came to know Jesus Christ. And so Judd is right there, ground zero, doing a great job. But as I sat at my desk Monday morning, I thought, you know, we have one of two choices. We can either live our lives in fear or live our lives in faith. We can choose to live in fear of the unknown or faith in the one who died and rose again. Because the truth is, we will all die someday. And none of us knows when that day will come, and we can either live in paralyzing fear of that unknown day or in faith in Jesus Christ who conquered death and offers the promise of eternal life in him no matter what happens to us. Death is the biggest problem every human being has. And it's why Jesus Christ came to this planet to overcome and break the curse of death so that we could have the promise of eternal life through faith in him. And James concludes his thoughts in verse 12. He says, so blessed is the person. Blessed is the person who perseveres under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. And this is a reference to heaven. When you've stood the test and you've held your faith strong, you'll receive the crown of life that God has promised and here's the qualifier to those who love him and trust him. They will receive the crown of life. So as we prepare for a brief time of communion today at all of our campuses, I want to ask you, are you living your lives in fear these days? Or are you living them in faith? Um, fear of the bad things that happen to us in this world or faith in the one who has overcome this world. The Bible says, greater is he who is in us than any evil in this world. Greater is Jesus who is in us, who overcame and conquered sin and death than any evil one in this world. The Bible says, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, Jesus said, for I have overcome the world. And so will we. We will overcome this world if our faith is in Jesus. And so as we come to communion, I just want you to think about this. Are you living in fear? Or are you living in faith? This is a great time to put your faith in Christ or to renew your faith in him and to thank him for his sacrifice. Because when he took the bread, he broke it in front of his disciples. He says, this, this bread represents my body, which is going to be broken for you. My body is going to be beaten. It's going to be punished. It's going to take the punishment 
for your sins. But I'm gonna take that punishment on myself so you don't have to. And then he took a cup of wine and he said, this, this wine represents my blood that's going to be shed for the forgiveness of sins because in the Old Testament they used to sacrifice an animal and shed its blood to atone for sins. But Jesus was the per perfect Lamb of God. He was the perfect sacrifice. And as his blood dripped on the ground, as he hung on the cross, he was taking your sins and mine, and he was paying for them. And he said, whoever eats this bread and drinks this cup proclaims the Lord's death and resurrection until he comes again. He said, remember me whenever you do this. So remember him. Thank him. You don't have to be a member to participate, but you need to be a follower of Christ. And as the elements come, you know, take a moment to reflect on what Jesus did for you. And uh, that you gotta take back the little seal on top. It's a little bit funky, but you can get at it. And the bread's there and then the cup. And just, but take a moment to reflect and pray and thank Jesus for what he's done. And then the band's gonna come and lead us into a closing song.
together, Lord Jesus, we remember you here now. We remember what you did for us on the cross, the blood that you shed, your body that you gave for us. But beyond that, Jesus, we remember that you came back to life three days later, that you were victorious over death. And when we turn to you, Jesus, we get to share in that victory. And because of that, Lord, we don't have to live in fear. We can live with a spirit of boldness, knowing that there's victory in you, Jesus, and in you alone. We have a hope, we have a future, no matter what this world throws at us. We won't be shaken when we stand on you, Jesus, as our rock. And God, I pray as we leave here today, we would remember that. We love you so much, we sing to you, we worship you in your awesome name, we pray. Amen. Thank you guys for being here today. Have a great week. We'll see you next weekend.